Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Crack House Podcast. We are here at Rick Bronson's House of Comedy in Phoenix, Arizona. This episode is brought to you by Mark Silverstein, videography and photography. And Big Pine Comedy Festival this September 19th through the 22nd in the beautiful Flagstaff, Arizona. As always, I'm your host, but with me in curls is Jack Galvin. Jack Galvin, how are you? Oh, I'd be doing better if I had curls. <laughs> That's for <laughs> sure. Was being, well, <laughs> it's on his back, really. Just the curls on his back. <laughs> but uh, I'm doing good. This is a very special episode because uh, there was a guest host, which he's always on the show. He's our producer, Buck. Producer Buck slash guest host. How are you today? Hey, I'm pretty good, man. I got to talk on this one. How'd that make you feel? Good. I've been actually. I've been out pumping iron. I'm doing curls right now. If you, you notice, do, I, I mean, want to. Oh, the, not those you type think of Jack's curls. Got curls. You let it go to his head. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm doing 20 pound weights now. 20 pounds. Six times. Yeah. So just one hosting gig, and you're like, I can take on the world. Yeah. Well, that's how I feel. And then I lifted a 30 pound weight, and was like, maybe not the whole world, but 20 pounds. <laughs> I got it. 20 pounds. That's two gallons of milk, people. Two <laughs> gallons of milk is what he can host. Uh, yeah. This was a, this was a great episode. Uh, I hear because I wasn't here for it because I was here. actually out um, slanging some comic. jokes, being a comic. Uh, and it's funny because again, whenever I'm on tour, uh, the podcasts continues whenever show must go on that's right you know if if jack galvin misses a day the show gets canceled if no, buck misses the day we, we, the the show gets canceled well, but I got the how come how come i am the one that like eh, show must go on i'm always the one outed on this you know it's fine <laughs> I, I show up late i do my own it's thing. also why we it's make fun. you sit on that uh that chair labeled ejector seat right yes and what's this know. cone hat why do i have to wear this cone hat the entire time you know what the, you know you know why we had to do this podcast without you this time why did you have to do this? Because the guy was amazing. And he, the stuff this guy told us, he had a Showtime special called No Bombing in Beirut. Okay, this guy started comedy in Lebanon. Okay, what have you done lately? I, I did, I just got called today, actually, to do a, to host a speed dating in Sun City. Okay, well, that's, that's worse. Hey, all right. <laughs> so, I've been on so, some dates where I was like, I wish so, we this one up. There is bombing in Arizona. <laughs> there is plenty of Just bombing. not bombing in Beirut. Like, okay. uh, they want me to do speed dating in Sun City where the average age is 72. Yeah. yeah. In semi- yeah. What, what speed, speed is that when all they drive is golf carts? <laughs> that's where my career like, has we gone. We got to date fast. We're 72. <laughs> yeah. After you do that gig, you shouldn't be a host. You I should, should be the guest, the headlining guest. You <laughs> earned it, okay? I really did. This is a true story. The guy called today, a two-hour meeting about this stupid show. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, not stupid. I haven't got paid yet. It's going to be a phenomenal show phenomenal in show. Sun City. It's probably going to be like a dating game type thing. Hopefully no one dies during it. Um, you, know who, you know who wouldn't take that gig? Our, our, our guest. <laughs> our guest is Nimmer. No. And I'm saying his name correctly this time because he gave me a tip on how to say his name. He said, you just say Simmer, and then you say Nimmer. <laughs> yeah. And I find a way to mess that up. Uh, leading into the show. So you'll look forward to hearing that. Um, this guy, I mean, I mean, he talks about coming up in the Middle East doing comedy. I mean, it, 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 you, you won't hear anything like you're going to hear today. Yeah, I'm just going to tell you that right built now. Built a scene where there was nothing. No scene. Yeah. Where it was, uh, where, where it was unhappiness. A lot of just unhappiness. And he wanted to brighten people's lives. Yeah. He thought he could do it with comedy. And he thought correct. What well, he talked about, yeah, like the resiliency now. of the Lebanese people. And he's like, yeah, it's, 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 they're great people. They're fun-loving people. They don't have stand-up comedy. 
I'm going to do that, you know? Yeah, no, and I think, and I, and I applaud him for doing that. I think that he went into comedy for the right reasons. And, and if you are someone that is somewhere else and you don't think you can start comedy, listen to this podcast because Nimmer will prove you wrong. You know, guys, I am super excited about this. This is probably my favorite podcast, not just because I'm not on it and I get to listen <laughs> to you guys, but I think this is going to be, I, I'm excited to hear about it. I, I've, I've heard about him. I've seen him perform. Tremendous, tremendous comedian. Oh, so, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, Nimmer. Right, guys welcome back to crack house podcast uh i'm your host jack galvin and uh, not with us again uh because he's been super busy matt broom is is on hiatus today but we're lucky enough to have producer buck in here to host with us how you doing buddy hey man it's pretty good uh hanging out here is paying off you know hanging out, <laughs> that, 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 it's all about hanging at the club and being seen and yeah being oh, right yeah there, you know oh, what I mean? yeah because like the remora fish of the club scene exactly yeah. well i'm glad you're doing well but uh really excited today uh we have comic showtime special just came out last year so many things that i can think of right now take too long to do please welcome namir so close nimmer so, nimmer nimmer so close nimmer. yeah so close <laughs> I, even, I even said simmer in my head i literally yeah. said simmer in my <laughs> head never repeated it incorrectly oh, oh my yeah. goodness well, for everyone listening we were having a debate to see if he could get the name right or not we we were this close yeah and you know what it's it, you know i love it, that it's fine yeah, i, I really nobody gets it right and that's how it should be I, it's, and in your defense, it went exactly the way you said it would. Yes. <laughs> it went exactly you, you, the wrong way. You're somewhat I'll, of a prophet. But I, but I don't think I said the one that I originally said in my head. Okay. You said Nimer originally, right? I did say Nimer. Now originally. you went to Namir because I told Nimir. you about Gene saying Namir on stage. That's I right. I know. Yeah. And then, I, and then I, I recently listened to your special, and then the way you said names on your Showtime special because you do that Kardashian. Oh, you band. watched it? Thank you. Yeah, I did, of course. Thank so you very much. I didn't know that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Which I think is brilliant, by the way. Did you enjoy it? I, I love the special. I, obviously, it's funny, but I loved what you did because a little bit earlier we were talking about, you know, branding yourself and, mm-hmm. and, and making sure that, you know, if, if you are a different ethnicity or something like mm-hmm. that, you don't want to just go to those people. You want to go to other people. Yeah. You want to broaden yourself. Yeah, yeah you have to. And, and a lot of times people will, th- will think, oh, well, he's from uh, Lebanon, Lebanon. So maybe, you know, I'm not going to understand his comedy. And you, and you said, well, I'm going to show you that both people understand it. I'm going yeah. to do my special in Lebanon. In L.A. Yeah. And I'm going to put it on the same special and show you that these jokes work. Yeah. And cut in between, sometimes in the same sentence, but people don't know it. I have a video online right now, three minutes, called PTSD, if anybody wants to see it before they check out the Showtime special. Mm -hmm. We cut in that three-minute clip three times back and forth, but people don't, like, that was the point. The point wasn't to show off, like, look at me on two different, the point was to show off one thing, the crowd. Mm -hmm. I wanted to show off a singular energy, like, if it's funny... It's funny, yeah. right? And I wanted to cut between Beirut and Los Angeles, two different continents. Yep. Plus, how many people think the Middle East and America would ever have anything in common? I wanted to cut between the crowds and mid-sentence cut on my performance. So when we do the split screen, you saw that. At like 55 minutes, there's a split screen mm-hmm. where I'm showing myself talking one place, crowd in the other, talking in the other crowd. That people are like, oh my God, so we've actually been watching a show in two places, and it feels like one show. That was the purpose. The objective was to show everyone that we are a lot closer than you have been led to believe. 100%. And I think, you know? And, and w- 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 when did you come up with that idea? Was it something you came up with recently, or is it something you I mean, for this, for it, was, it was something, it was, it's been my philosophical approach to comedy has always been doing the same material in more than one. I always used to have this, when I first started doing stand-up in the Middle East back in 99, mm-hmm. 
And there was no stand-up in the middle. I started stand-up comedy in the Middle East. I built it as an industry. I spent 16 years doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to brand my posters, no politics, no religion, one love. I would have a stamp and we put it on. And I wanted people to kind of know that it doesn't matter who you are, what ethnicity, what your political leaning is, what religion you are. If you come to a a Nimmer show, you're going to have a good time. That was basically what I was trying to do because for me it was... As long as we can get, especially in the Middle East, which was highly fractured, yeah. I felt if I could get everyone in the room to laugh together, that's all it needs. That's all you need. Because all of the media, everything was so political. Everything was all about politics and religion that I needed to, to make an alternative. Yeah. Uh, and it worked. The reason I came to the U.S. four years ago is because my work was done in the Middle East. And I felt we need to expand it. I felt it was a miracle what we'd achieved in the Middle East, bringing so many people together, making it difficult for ISIS and Al-Qaeda to be able to infiltrate the Middle East because of a spirit we had fostered through comedy was an amazing achievement. Yeah. And then to come and to push, you know, for uh, uh, the, the reformation of now what you're seeing in Saudi Arabia. We used to do illegal events in Saudi Arabia, really? bringing crowds together because you couldn't have women and men together um, and doing them in weird, like dangerous circumstances. That was these kind of things were what pushed the envelope. Right. And it's an American art form that did that. Yeah. And I felt, you know what, now let me expand to the U.S., And I was always like, I hope in America I have some relevancy. Not that I'm just funny. I had no idea that four years ago, me coming here, in four years, America would become literally like the Middle East in the 90s, where everything's political, everything's religious, and I'm basically doing here what I'm doing there. That was the the premise behind me filming in two places for No Bombing Beirut, the Showtime special, was I figured if I can get everybody to laugh together, then... I will get everybody closer together. That's why I did the Middle East and America. Because now, after you see that special, if somebody comes up to you and says, man, the Arabs are all terrorists, they hate America, you'll be like, I saw a Showtime special where this, it was all in English. The guy who was doing it was Christian. Um, and there were Muslims. He was making jokes about Muslims. Muslims were cracking up, making jokes about Christian. And they were laughing at everything. And he was using words that here in America, people might judge him for whatever. They didn't care. Yeah. And it was the same joke in LA and there. And in the Beirut, it was a 5,000 person crowd. In LA, it was 2,000 people. So these aren't small samples. Oh, of the, yeah. These are major samples of the population. So I feel like that kind of work, putting that extra layer does make comedy more valuable. More than just, I had a good laugh and passed the time. I had a good laugh. I learned something, I felt better as a human being, and I have more hope now. I, I love that because I think in stand-up comedy, we're in a weird place right now. Oh, yeah. Where comics only want to go up there and get their point across. Yeah. And they forget the funny. And they mm-hmm. forget, mm-hmm. you know, where, where there's hope in this situation. They mm-hmm. just talk about just the bad. They nag. They, oh, dude. It's, there's it's too it's much so nagging. Funny. There's no solution. That's, I think, my biggest criticism of comics. First of all, comics today are atrocious compared to where we're coming from. Um, and it's kind of becoming the way pop music happened. So back in the day, pop music was what? Queen, Michael Jackson. You had that level of like, holy cow, right? Oh, yeah. And now pop music is complete trash. I've noticed the same thing happening in stand-up. Because for me, I had an interesting experience. I grew up in San Diego, mm-hmm. fell in love with stand-up here. Uh, you know, and this is the time during, you know, Bill Cosby was killing it at the time, not with what's going on just in the comedy <laughs> world. And you had, yeah. yeah, you had, you know, the Bill Higgs, the Mitch Hedberg, you had the rise of these, Mitch actually was later. But I mean, you're talking yeah. about comics like George Carlin was oh, in his oh, prime. Yeah. You had Robin Williams was doing specials and they were all like game changers. Mm-hmm. And I left in 1993, I came to the Middle East and I had no access to stand-up except my mom's cassette tape collection of, of from the 70s and early 80s of Woody Allen doing stand-up, of Lenny Bruce, of um, who else? I'm trying to remember off the top. Steve Martin doing stand-up. 
right? Richard Pryor doing stand-up. So I continue. So many different types of stand-up. So many, so many in, in those names that oh, I just yeah. think. But all of them, game changers. All yeah. of them with something to say. And that was my stand-up access for throughout the 90s. I was disconnected from America. Yeah. So when I started doing stand-up in the Middle East, it was at that level. Like for me, stand-up was like you have to, there has to be something more than just a gag. There's got to be some kind, you got to be breaking down barriers. You got to be saying something. You got to, I remember Bill Hicks. I got into Bill Hicks a lot in the 90s because that was when Napster came out and I was able to download illegally. For some reason, yeah. I was looking for stand-up. <laughs> he popped up. Yeah. And I remember listening to an interview he did, or reading it rather, after listening to his genius bits where he was dealing with Rodney King, right? Mm -hmm. 92, where he's like, the balls on the size of these police officers, the balls on these police officers going into court and saying not guilty yeah. when there's footage showing them beating the man, yeah, right? That's the nagging. Yeah. And then he goes... And then he does this whole bit about the, from the point of the police officer going, well, your honor, if you play the tape in reverse, you see him, you see us helping him up and sending him on his way. Right. And that cracked me up. Yeah. And I remember reading an interview where he said, stand-up comics are the only people in the world, unlike religious figures and political figures who beg people to come listen to them and they do it for free. Yeah. Stand-up comics are the only people in the world where people pay them money. And here's the great sentence that Bill Hicks said that puts him on the other level. He said, they pay you money. And they say, make me listen. It's not they pay us money to listen to us. That's an egocentric point of view. And that's today's comics. Mm -hmm. Back then, the understanding was they pay us money to make them listen. Our job, what we're being paid for, is to make them want to listen to what we're saying. 100%. And that is the, the, the extra layer that I feel is missing. So when I came back here a few years ago, I was genuinely surprised. When I started to tune back into American stand-up today, I was like, wait, 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 what happened? Because I had been dialed into the to the old school for so long that i was look i was like let's look at the new stuff it's gonna be amazing and then i was like why is nobody saying anything anymore why is it just here's the problem fuck this shit and that's where they stop who ends punchlines now with i don't give a fuck how many comics do you see saying like i'll be driving the windows are down i don't give a fuck and people are cracking up why are you laughing and how is that acceptable to you as a standard i'm not saying all comics no yeah, but i'm saying the pop, the pop the culture of comics why, why yeah. am i listening to it? has gone yeah, down yeah. you still have like holy cow bill burr i'm sorry you feel that way is one of the best comedy specials of oh, all time awesome. all time black and white alabama like everything about that special is reminiscent of what makes comedy stand-up great but then you see, and I don't want to name names, I don't like to bash, but you see other comics who are very well regarded coming out with specials and you're like, there's no effort here. No, yeah. There's no more effort. And I think that is a trap people fall into. They get too hyped up with getting followers online. They forget that it's still a long-term strategy. It's about your content, your discography, your catalog, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't, it's a bit disappointing to see. And I'm not saying I'm the greatest at all. I'm saying I'm trying to be like that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, and it's up to the people to judge. Yeah. But I feel like people aren't trying anymore. They're just like, I'm going to post memes online. And that's where I'm going to, you know. I think a lot of the effort for comics is going in other, in other places mm -hmm. and not their writing. No. That's, that's the, and that's the reason people like Bill Burr and these guys can stay so relevant and so popular and be considered God. Because no one's really running up there to catch them, I feel like. Yeah. The big, big ones. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and those guys have been... They've been at it for a world for a long time. You know, the 80, you know, the late 80s in the 90s, they were all relevant in comedy. And now they're still there because they're still saying something and they're still. And, 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 you know, I'm, I try, I'm struggling right now to think of a, of a new comic who I would think would fit that bill. But I feel like there are several new comics I see that are kind of like trying to find their footing. 
Mm-hmm. It's just like we've lost focus. Like I love what Kevin Hart does and the way he encourages other comics, right? Yeah. Like I think that's amazing. Like forget about his material, just the fact that he uses his business savvy. To, like he's giving so many opportunities to up and coming comics. He, he doesn't have to. Of course. So there are positives to the way things are going. We're seeing revolutions. I'm just not seeing... Like I still will listen to a Steve Martin show and realize the amount of barriers he was breaking down or a Richard Pryor show. And then I'm like, where are these barriers being broken down today? And the market is so ripe for that crazy barrier breaking. Mm -hmm. It's more about making statements now. Like you'll go up and you'll bash someone. People are like, yes, but that's not what it was about. It wasn't about bashing and it wasn't about stating the obvious. It was about stating the thing. You take something like a bottle of water that people interact with every single day. And then you point something out that nobody's ever noticed. And that's what comedy was about, yeah. right? People be like, oh my God, holy shit. There's another side. And that's where yeah, they go. They, yeah. You get that reaction. People are like, oh my, like you get the laughter and the disbelief. And uh, we've lost the disbelief. And that's when you get them, the, that's when you start drawing them in. That's when you that's draw when them in. They are now listening Think. to you. I always like used, you yeah, I always used to define it. I used to say the difference between a joke teller and a stand up comic is a stand up comic is a world creator. Mm-hmm. You get up on stage and you create a world. Your success is measured on how much they participate in it. If you can do create your world and people become a part of your world for an hour and a half, they're in your world. They're playing by the rules of your world. When that show is done, if they step out back into the real world, if they see the real world differently because of the time they spent in yours, that's when you can say I'm a calm. Like that's when you can say I've done different. When people are driving and they see something, they associate it with something you said, it changes behaviors. Mm-hmm. That's the highest form. That's what I reach for. That's what I actually, I was watching comedians in cars getting, getting coffee, coffee, the new season. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't remember the episode, but Seinfeld was talking about the levels of comedy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, making your friends laugh is level one. Mm-hmm. Making strangers laugh is level two. Making strangers laugh for money, level three. And then making people talk like you is the highest level, that, level four. That's, that's, like that's what exactly what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That's, yeah. And that's by the way, my thinking is coming from having watched the documentary that Seinfeld came out with comedian ages ago. I'm sure everybody's seen that. Or watching all of the comedians like Jerry Seinfeld or others doing their things. You just notice. Yeah. You know, it's, you can take a look at comedians who are popular and try to imitate them. Or you can take a look at comedians that are popular and try to understand Mm -hmm. why. And then if you choose comedians that are popular, there's different types of popularity. And just like you said, Seinfeld, like there are those four levels, right? If you're at level one, like you can get super popular (laughs) Mm -hmm. and stay at level two. Oh, yeah. If we're going to go by that, like making strangers laugh. And you can get hugely popular and all the power to you, my friend. Like, for real. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not shitting on anyone. I'm just saying, like, I just, there's no more romance in stand-up comedy like there used to be back then. That, dude, you would go to a comedy club. Like, for me, just the visualization of it, like, oh, my God, what's going to happen tonight? Yeah. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen tonight. I don't know. And then you leave, even with that expectation of, it's going to be crazy. You would still leave going, that was insane. Like, it would beat your expectation. I just feel like we've lost some of that allure. I, 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 I yeah. agree 100%. And I do feel, especially talking to a lot of comics coming in here, a lot of headliners, I feel there is a changing in uh, the, brother, the brotherhood of comedy yeah. and bringing people together yeah. and really helping people out. Yeah. And I love seeing that. But, yeah, I mean, the romantic side of the comedy, I think, is definitely... Is it, it, disappearing. It's disappearing. I, but I, it is making somewhat... Here's what's interesting. Like, there's comics like me, who are obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm starting to connect with a lot of other comics who are also obsessed with it. It's just like we're kind of like being shocked to find out that we're still out there. There is, there is a resurgence because in life, everything's like a pendulum. I think it swinged far in one direction when you started having the Vine breakthroughs, the Instagram breakthroughs, all of that. And probably from the day of Dane Cook, 
mm-hmm. who became so popular by using, you know, being the first person to leverage the internet. I, I leveraged yeah. the internet in the Middle East. That's how I got to my popularity. Mm-hmm. He leveraged the internet here, got to his popularity. And a lot of, I think a lot of people were like, oh, he got super popular because he was online first. That's what we need to do. And taking that one-sided lesson from anyone's career, be it Dane Cook or anybody else, mm-hmm. that's where the problem is happening. You're seeing that kind of, oh, they're super popular because you're using that sound effect in their clips. I'll right, use right. that sound effect in my clips. Whereas it's, it's a whole persona, it's a personality, it's charisma. It's a lot of, yeah, all that stuff, especially yeah. when you're coming with social media. Yeah, at the end of the day, like you shouldn't be threatened by other people's success because it's like your persona is what makes you successful, not yeah. using the internet no, no, no. or having a media. It's your persona. I, yeah. I took a venture capital course in university, and I remember um, one student asked our professor, he said, you know, if I put a business plan together and I'm looking for investors, I'm afraid that if they see my business plan, why, won't, why don't they just say, we're not interested, then go do it themselves? Yeah. And I'll never forget his reply. He said, if they can do your idea successfully, then it wasn't your idea. Yeah. And that was the Fantastic. most, that was so true. He said, it's your idea. Like people come up to me, they're like, are you worried now that you're doing all these clubs? People are going to steal your material. I'm like, I would be shocked to see somebody steal my material because I don't know what context they could possibly put it in. Yeah. My material is so uniquely me and my journey and my experiences that it just, it would seem so out of place for any other comic to just do it. Oh yeah. You know, so once you have your voice, you, you, that is the most important thing where people can hear something and say, that sounds like a joke by Nimmer yeah. or that sounds like a Seinfeld setup or that sounds, did you ever see that HBO uh, thing, bit they did called, I think it was called talking comedy and it was Louis C.K., Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, and Ricky Gervais. I think I did see that. Sitting yeah. down, talking yeah. comics. I highly recommend everybody checks okay. that out. It's just an yeah. hour, four comics, four incredible yeah. comics, um, discussing their method. At one point in time, Seinfeld is saying he loves this joke for Louis C.K. And he says the joke. And then Louis is like, that is a Seinfeld way of saying my joke. Yeah. Like, my way is totally different. Yeah. He's like, but now that I hear it, like, that's it. So you can put your imprint on something. So when you hear it, you're like, that's a Seinfeld bit. Yeah. That's, a, that's the power of the voice, right? right? You hear a song for Queen, you, you know that's a Queen song. You hear a song for Prince, you know that's a Prince song. Today, you hear a song for Rihanna, it could equally be a, B- a Bieber song. It could equally yeah, be a Demi right. Lovato yeah. song. <laughs> yeah. Taylor Swift did that? Are you kidding? Taylor Swift, you have no clue. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I think the most important thing right now is this resurgence we're seeing in identity. I also think because a lot of people did get popular online and it didn't translate to the success they expected that they're now starting to realize it's just another layer. Like online is just the bonus. It's not your core. Yeah. Even if you have millions of followers online, this is what I love about stand-up. It's the most noble and humble and pure art form in the world. No matter what the hell you are, you, know, you could be Jack Nicholson for Christ's sake. You get up on that stage. If you're super famous, you get five minutes, 10 minutes of un, like unbridled love. You could say anything. People are just so stoked that you're there. Yeah. But then... It doesn't matter if you're not funny. It doesn't funny, matter yeah. what you've achieved in your life. If you're not funny, that's show. how it is. Nobody's yeah. going to be like, you know what? Nimmer sucked. But he was on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine yeah. in the Middle East, so it was totally worth the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not how it was. Well, that's, that's like you're grabbing their attention, yeah. but you're not really doing anything that resonates, no. which so is where the longevity would come That's where the longevity yeah. is, and that's, that's where the substance is. We are an art form of substance, Yeah. right? We're about content. We're the most, there no, it's us, a mic, and a light, right? Yeah. There's no pyrotechnics. There are no f- dancers on stage. If you're sick, you got to go through it, right? You can't hide somewhere. You can't get somebody. You have to labor through it, and that's what's beautiful and unique about stand-up. Mm-hmm. Dude, stand-up's the only art form in the world where people 
will go like, man, did you see that show for Bill Burr? I'm sorry you feel that way. That was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my mm -hmm. life. Bill Burr is a genius. I can't wait to see his new stuff. Yeah. That's the only industry. If it was music, you'd be like, that song made changed my life. I can't wait to go and pay money to see them sing it live so I can sing along. Yeah. We're, our industry is basically where you come up with a thought pattern. People look at you and say, I love the way he, th he or she thinks. I love the way he or she breaks down things. I can't wait to see them apply it to totally new scenarios and wow me. So we yeah. got, that's our art form. Yeah, you can't play the hits. I've no. seen people try to, I've seen people do it. Angela Johnson, I don't know if you who she is. She's the, she of does course. the nail bit. Of course. I, I took her to see my sister to go see her a couple months ago, and she's ends with that, she said, for the last eight years. She closes with that nail. And they, it, it, it's weird because they all go crazy when she says it. But then she does it, and there's not really any laughter. Mm -hmm. People are happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's also the thing where she has to end with that because you can't go anywhere else after that. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to get laughs, so you can't just. It, the people but that's, still want but, it. But what would separate her? But what would blow people's minds? Yeah. If she could come up with another nail, another bit, one, yeah, another exactly. nail bit, quote unquote, like another bit of yeah. that. And she didn't, man. She did it word. She did it word for word, and it was crazy. I mean, the place erupted. Oh, she said she was going to do it because they're they're there to see that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That, but, and I'm not criticizing her for that. And I never would criticize another comic for anything because no, who the course, hell who no. the hell am I? She, she, did but, a, she did an hour of new stuff before of new that. stuff before yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, but course. in that case, yeah. you see, from my perspective, I think that's fine. Like you yeah. did give them the yeah, new sure. stuff. You ended with a classic, great, great but, ass show. Yeah. But imagine the whole hour oh, was the same show. Yeah. It's yeah. not gonna work. But that's the thing. That's what I was trying to get at. Is that she? It's different. You go to a rock concert and you see someone play. Dude, the, the Scorpions have been, I've been playing the yeah, same. Yeah. How many times have Stairway to Heaven been played yeah. and people lose, their, they go ballistic. Well, but, they, but they lose their mind the whole time. The whole time. The whole time. The whole Until time. the song ends. Yeah. yeah. That was, that, that, how that, awesome that was is it different that you her. can go to an electronic dance music concert knowing that without drugs, you cannot enjoy it. So yeah. people are going, <laughs> not only are they paying the price of admission, they're also getting illegal substances. Like they're, right. they're putting so much effort into enjoying the show. Stand up is the one art form where you, the performer, put in all the, you are the drug, you are the substance, and you are the final solution for everything. That's what's amazing. That's the romance yeah. right there where mm -hmm. it's, it's tough because you're up there, but that's the beauty of it, that it is tough. That's where you can walk out and then go to sleep at night and be like, man, I'm making a difference. Like, I'm, 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 I'm finding a way. Yeah, and, and, you're, and you're making a difference because I, I, I do want to go a little bit and backtrack and go to your, how you got to where you're at now and because mm -hmm. it's a pretty crazy story the fact <laughs> that you is. left lebanon to go to san diego during the war yeah lived in san diego and then moved back back to 10 once the war was mm -hmm. over that's pretty wow what was that what was that like can you talk about that a little bit yeah man that was i mean a lot of immigrant parents there's something now in america that that's very confusing to me a lot of americans seem to be oblivious to the fact that people can be happy outside of the united states yeah. and i see a lot of people like those people are trying to get into america here's the thing when people are coming into this country, it's never, it's many times by choice, mm -hmm. but it's never because they just wanted to. There's usually something that drives you away from your home. And there's a lot of beautiful places on this earth. Beirut has become defined for terror. Like when you say Beirut, people immediately associate it with Marines being killed, civil war, all of that stuff. Yeah. But the reality of, of the situation is it's unbelievably gorgeous. And the people are unbelievable. And it's, it's like, a, it's, right now it's the party capital of the world. There was a time when it was called the Paris in the Middle East. It's now regained that. But sometimes conflicts happen. And, and the, the narrow view is to take a look and say, oh, 
Look at those animals, they can't get along. But the reality of it, you're, you're oftentimes when it comes to conflict, it's not the people who do the fighting. You're usually caught in between. I've been through nine wars, I've never, wow. but I've never carried a gun once in my life. Yeah. I just, you just sit at home and wait for Russia and America to end their proxy war, from Asia and Europe to end their proxy. What are you going to do yeah. when you have American jets and Russian jets? What are you, you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to protest? Yeah. How are you going to change? So when we came to America, it's because it was, it was, they, we were driven out by yeah. powers much bigger than us. Yeah. But the whole time in America, I had the best time in my life. My parents had the best time of their lives. They loved America. America gave us so much, but they still wanted to go home. I mean, that's beautiful. That's beautiful, that's beautiful too, though. It, but that is beautiful. Yeah. And that's the, the, the beauty of America is it's an absorption country. You absorb the best of the world, and you don't lose your identity here. You maintain it, and then it morphs into something greater. That's what America is. America is like a bonus pill. Right? You come yeah. in here, you meet other cultures, you learn how to do things differently, then you go back to your country, you, you put it there, and it makes the country better. I took stand-up comedy, mm -hmm. took it to the Middle East, and it made the Middle East a better place. And now I'm back in America showing my version of stand-up from that adventure I've been on, right? The ultimate American dream. Yeah. When we went there at 10, it was right after the Civil War. I mean, the, my bedroom was riddled with bullets in the house that we went to. Wow. Uh, like it, when you came back? You when I came bullets? back, yeah, there were bullets everywhere. The, a chunk of the building is missing. All over the streets, there was sewage in the street. It was a civil war for 35 years. Buildings were totaled everywhere. Mm -hmm. The airport had, like, chaos just coming in. The roads were terrible. And you had to rebuild a country practically from scratch. Yeah. And that was what we went to. When I started doing stand-up, mm -hmm. we were under Syrian occupation. And then our prime minister was assassinated. And then we pushed Syria out. And we're building a stand-up comedy through all of that. And then 14 political assassinations started happening. Car bombings, wars, Al-Qaeda started to come in. Tried to. Yeah. ISIS trying to. All of this is happening. And we're building a comedy scene. And believe it or not, comedy is medication. We'd put on a show. This terrible terrorist attack would happen. Threat of terror is still there. And I'd come out and say, I'm still going to be at the show if anyone wants to show up because that's my job, but yeah. please stay home. It's not safe. And then 2,000 people show up wow. because people, the spirit and the reason Lebanon and these countries are where people die to get back to. And the contrast between America, and I can say this very confidently, in America, everything is given to you to raise you up. Everything is given to you to give you that opportunity. Yet Americans find ways to act like it's a terrible situation. You shift over to a place like Lebanon, everything is stacked against you, everything right? You're, you're sub we share a border with Syria and Israel and the sea, right? So we're in constant, in-between conflict. Uh, we have a debt-to-GDP ratio of 157% and more, I think. We have 80, an insane amount of outstanding debt. We have the most, the infrastructure is terrible. In the past, we're a country that's smaller than San Diego County, has 4 million people. In the past three years, we've absorbed 3 million Syrian refugees, right? Here in America, 8,000 and everybody's losing their mind. Three yeah. million, right? We didn't have a president for three years. We weren't allowed to have one. Uh, there came a period of two years where nobody picked up the trash in the country in an attempt to start a civil war. Just recently, Saudi Arabia tried to kidnap our prime minister in an attempt to start a civil war between the Shiites and the Sunnis. Didn't work. And this is all happening, right? Yeah. Yet this country is the most stable country in the Middle East. It's infinitely safer than America has ever been. The unemployment rate is about 97. The employment rate, sorry, yeah. the literacy rate is what I meant yeah. to say, is 97%. Yeah. Education is through the roof. Three languages, two currencies. A thriving community. 
That's what is alluring about Lebanon. The spirit of the people is indestructible. Yeah. People are there. No matter what is thrown at you, we don't take it as an excuse. And that experience there, building stand-up comedy in that, was why people were coming out. They're like, here's an art form that deserves our support. We don't give a shit if you're bombing us. Mm -hmm. We don't give a shit if you're blowing us up. We're going because there's nothing you can do to make us stay home because staying home means you won. Yeah. And I talk about that in my shows, how we fought ISIS with jokes. When ISIS did a terrorist attack, killed 56 Lebanese people the day before the first Paris attacks, mm -hmm. we took the next day and we, took, we didn't take a day off. We, didn't, we acted like nothing happened because we knew nothing would demoralize them more than for them to throw everything they had at us mm -hmm. and for it not even to cause a blip. And the next day we were sending jokes to each other about why they would blow themselves up and making fun of them. Yeah. And that was how we ended ISIS's threat. We fought them militarily, but then when it came to the real enemy, the hate and the ideology, that's a spiritual war. And nothing is more powerful spiritually than comedy. That's a fantastic Yo, I, lesson to that's, learn. That's that, that, and that lesson, that's why here in America, when you hear people saying, no, you can't joke about that. You yeah. can't say that. Yeah. That is unacceptable. And yeah. that's getting more and more prevalent. That's getting more and more prevalent, but I'm doing all I can when I'm on stage to push back against that. That's I great. say words that blow my mind that people get shocked to. So I'm, I'm talking yesterday in a show, and this happens every show. I have a part in my show where I say, if you have hate in your heart, put it out there. Say it. If you hate somebody because of the color of their skin or their religion, say it. Go up to them and tell them. Don't be a pussy and say it behind their back. Now, when I say pussy, as soon as I say don't be a pussy, yeah, I get a reaction, yeah. which course. is fantastic. I immediately draw a deep breath. I turned it into a joke. I go, before anybody freaks out, and then I go into a diatribe about the fact that pussy is de derived from the word pusillanimous. That is a 16th century word, which means he of little courage. And the fact that America has bastardized the English language, that we take words out of context to the extent that you find them offensive in a climate where we should be more preoccupied with real offenses against mm -hmm. us as human beings oh, yeah. says more about America than it does about me. All it says about me is I'm correctly educated and pussy comes from pussillanimous. Yeah. And buried and in that is ignorance. Which buried is in that is ignorance because we're, we're done with, with knee jerk reactions yeah. where we're coming and we're more concerned about a word or we're more concerned about a thing instead of concerned about the context of what's being said. Sure. So you said cunt, who cares? That's not the offensive part. Right, so yeah. you said retarded. Who cares? That's not the offensive part. Mm -hmm. But how was it used? Why are you using it? Now, I take a look at the word retarded. I used to say, don't be retarded. Mm -hmm. And I got pushback. Mm -hmm. I actually engaged in dialogue with the people who pushed back. And I ended up saying, you know what? Turns out, here in America, sadly, the way that word is being used, you can't disassociate from it. In Lebanon, if I say stop being retarded, we take it from the French language, retardé, because we all speak French, because we have to speak French there. Yeah. Retardé means late. Yeah. Yeah. So when I say don't be, tar don't yeah. be retarded, like don't be slow. Not mm -hmm. don't be retarded, don't be mentally disabled. Yeah. yeah. Don't be mentally disabled. We, we'd be literally be like, what are you, mentally disabled? Like, that's how we would talk there. Exactly. And the difference so, is, like, these are choices you're making. These are choices you're making. So yeah. here I was like, okay, this is getting in the way of my message. So I'm going to stop there. The pussy thing, for an instance, was an enabler for me to come up with a new joke. But I'm saying what's, what's bizarre to me about America is we have real problems, but a lot of us are more concerned with artificial problems. Oh, yeah. I focus on that in my show. Love isn't the answer. So in your experience right now, then, um, you know, doing your special in multiple places and highlighting that you're getting the same reactions, are there any points where your performance is different? Like, or is it verbatim? I'm doing the same no. thing in San Diego. I, I change the, the theme and the message and the point of the show is verbatim, oh. but the wording and the energy and the flow of the show changes every single show. That's just my style. Just, sure. Sometimes, like yesterday, right here yesterday, for whatever reason, the crowd was 
a lower energy crowd. Mm -hmm. So instead of me jumping up and going crazy, like they didn't want the high energy thing. I pulled up the chair and I did a good 30 minutes of the show sitting down, but they were dying. Like they were laughing hysterically, but I knew that if I had been standing up and and, and pushing the material out at them, like in maximum energy, it would have actually not worked right. So sometimes you got to adjust. And I think as a comic, part of the art is to be able to understand that. But I think that's the beautiful, that's that, there's the the, the beautiful part that you're talking about too, is that it is different every time you're up there and that's how it should, you should go up there and figure out the crowd. It's a, dude, you think, do you think that when, when, (laughs) even when musicians play the song the same time, you think they play it the same exact way every time? Maybe they do and they're shitty musicians, (laughs) but nobody went to a Pink Floyd concert or a Rage Against the Machine concert to hear it played like it was on the album. And and if you're out there and the energy is coming from the crowd and you want to, but if you're out there in the crowd, it doesn't have that energy, then you work it up and that's what makes you yeah. a performer, an artist. Yeah. So you, you know? Are you a big Rage fan? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Of course, that five-sided fistigon, my friend, yes. all my life. Oh, are man. you kidding me? I grew my up. Favorites. Rage Against the Machine. You see, that's what I miss, though. Uh-huh. That's a band, like, I don't see that anymore, man. Yeah. No, I remember yeah, Rage Against the Machine. I would wait for their album when, when Evil Empire came out. So I'm, I'm listening to the original Rage Against the Machine album. I'm like, there's yeah. no way. There's no way you can come up with something better than that. I know. Evil Empire <laughs> comes out, and I remember the first listen. I'm like, nah, this isn't so good. Then a month later, I'm like, this is the greatest album of my life, right? Yeah, yeah. Then Battle for Los Angeles, come, Battle of L.A., right? Their, their third for album Los Angeles, for yeah. Los Angeles comes out. I remember listening it to the first time. I'm like, man, Evil Empire, what, what the fuck is it? Two months later, I'm like, this is, this is, that song Maria is unbelievable. Like, yeah. I can't, and I'm reciting every lyric. And I miss that, man. I miss it, like, you would sit down with the CD and the album cover, yeah. like a Radiohead album. Mm-hmm. You yeah. never liked a Radiohead album from the first listen, <laughs> or Portishead, or any of these bands. Like, you would never sit down and just turn on press play and be like, mm. right now you got people reviewing albums. To make sure. That, like, from the fucking track list. You know, mm-hmm. like, they're not even in, like, how can you put out a review of an album the next day? Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and, and, and I'm not saying it's because they're reviewing them quickly. I'm saying because that's all it takes now. The, the music isn't there anymore. Yeah. Right? The lyrics. The and, and, and comedy is the same. And it, we've become a quick digest, but that doesn't mean there isn't room for the real deal. No, and Rave Man, if Rage Against probably the Machine, more room for it. There's you know? more yeah. room for it than ever. And I think people, if Rage Against the Machine ever came back, I can't listen to Audio Slave. I was, was never able to listen to him. How about Prophets of Rage? Can't listen to him. Yeah. Because it, it just They're sounds different. I'll tell you what yeah. Prophets of Rage and Audio Slave and all of them sound like to me. They sound like songs that Zach DeLaRosha said not good enough to and now they're using them elsewhere i do find myself missing him a lot yeah like that's always the piece that set it over for because i know he was the reason like i've as i've understood is that his dedication to making it perfect uh-huh. and his unwavering discipline to like it has because he was a bit psychotic in that sense was what kind of pushed the band over the edge he was so extreme yeah i miss that you know there was a I, there was a performance they did that was on the bbc like early 2000s or so and they have this song... Uh, the Reading Festival? No, this was like a studio performance. Oh, okay. And so what happened is, you know, their censorship was always their thing. Yeah. Like they got in trouble on Saturday Night Live for having the flag upside down, and they were in for a, life. Yeah. And uh, so the BBC had them on, and they were performing Killing in the Name, and mm. there's that spot at the end. Fuck where, you, I won't do what you tell right, me. Right, right. And so, you know, the producer is like, they have subtitles on here capturing the video, and they're like, before they went on stage, the producer's like, don't say this part, you know? And so, uh, well, what the hell are they going to say though? Well, it builds up, right? So there's the part where like Tom Morello kicks in the mm-hmm. guitar real hard, mm-hmm. but it starts off. It's like I won't do what you tell me, mm-hmm. and he's just omitting the fuck you part. I won't do part. what you tell me. Okay. And then right when Tom Morello kicks in, you can mm-hmm. see him look off stage mm-hmm. and flip off the producer, and he's like, "Fuck, <laughs> fuck you, you, I won't yeah! do what you tell me. 
And I was like, you're my favorite people of all time. Yes. Yeah, and that's Rage Against the Banned Machine. for life, but you know. Like, and by the ever. way, can we take a second to talk about how cool the name Rage Against the Machine is? Yeah, everything for about a band. That, God damn. I'm, I'm so, so glad that we're fans of the I'm, I'm oh, geeking out. I, I'm lost in this conversation. Dude, I am a country I have boy. The, yeah. I, my name should be Buck. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm breaking the mold with Buck. You are. Dude, yeah. man, Rage Against the Machine just... It, just the name made me curious. Yeah. It, it used to, I'd be like, what's the machine? Uh-huh. How do you rage against it? You get what I'm saying? There's like, so many layers There's in so it. many yeah. layers, man. I was reading the lyrics. I bought the 20th anniversary vinyl for their first oh. album. And, uh, and it's got some of their live stuff on it. Um, and like demo tapes, but I was reading the lyrics and like Township Rebellion is like, oh. there's, there's a line about genocide in mm-hmm. there that you gloss over. But and I was lyrics. just like, dude, if you read the lyrics while listening to this, nah, man, some of the 20 lyrics, years later, you know, the lyrics, there was the song we, we ride with the wind below on evil empire. There was that song wind below. Uh huh. And for many years, I was like, what does that song mean? Like it was just in a real life. Like we, we ride with the wind below, like being bombed by planes. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like the fact that you just expressing plane bombing by saying ride with the winds below. Yeah. It's yeah. just it, the poetry, the artistry. And that's how I want to be, like, I want my legacy to be, like, Nimmer approach topics and change the game. Like, I look up to bands like Zach Delor- like Rage Against the Machine and Zach DeLaRoche as a crucial member of it. Or Tom Morello, what he did with the guitar. And yeah. It's just, like, take what everybody's doing and do it so differently that before you were there and after you were there are two different eras. You get what I'm saying? And, yeah, and, it's, and, it's... and man, just, my, Drake released his latest album, Scorpion. There was one song on that album, uh, It Don't Matter to Me. It was Drake and Michael Jackson. He comes out of nowhere with a recording of Michael Jackson from whatever, probably Michael Jackson on some song that he... Yeah. Just hearing Michael's voice, I, the goose, my hair oh, stands gosh. up all over. Huge Michael Jackson. Who is it? <laughs> Who is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Just the way he says this uh, simple hook, uh, it don't matter. The way he says it uh-huh. is so fucking Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah. And you realize in that moment that there's nothing close to this. Yeah. Not even remotely. Right. And no matter how awesome Drake, one billion streams and all the respect to him and awesome and hell, his production's amazing. I'm not bashing. Yeah. Just hearing Michael Jackson on his album. Yeah. I'm like, well, the album pretty much sucks compared to this. This one, because <laughs> it's <laughs> Michael little, Jackson. This is one of the greatest ever. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no. And there's something to be said with like saying a lot with very few words, which is like and comedy. Just, and, and how you say and, it and uh-huh. the timing and yeah, the yeah. rhythm and the little addition and the... That's the art, man. Yeah. Man, fucking Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, yeah. Who would have thought? I can't wait for that. Scott Amus, Scott Amus, can you do the Fandango? Who, what is it? Who? But everybody's saying Still don't know what that means. No. And Wayne's World became iconic because of that one scene with them headbanging in That's the car. I found it. I was like, what is this song? Oh, really? Well, because I was born in Amazing. 84, was, so that, I was like eight when Wayne's World came out and if you Queen watch, was done. If you watch the story behind that, that was a fight for that. Mike Myers fought for that song. They didn't, really? They, they didn't want to do it. They said really? they, almost, they almost cut the whole scene because... They said they said they wanted to because that song had already been out for a long time, twelve yeah. years, yeah. and it was already it already reached number one and it was done. He goes, "I want this song." They said, "No, we need to go with a popular song that we can actually try to get to the charts." And he goes, "No way, I want this." That's one of the only songs wow. to ever reach number one twice. Yeah, wow. because of that movie. Wow, he I did not know that story. Amazing. Mike Myers did. I'd also like to give props to Jim Carrey yeah. for fighting an Ace Ventura have cannibal corpse so do you know that oh, story yeah. i don't know that story but yeah I know so there's a scene in ace ventura one pet detective mm-hmm. where and i'm sure you've seen it everybody's it's essential viewing for yeah. anybody have you seen it 
Right. Ace Ventura. Okay, oh, just yeah, make I, sure. I, I thought I for a second you had it. See, I was like, <laughs> no, the podcast is over. I just watched it like three weeks. Ago. It's amazing. Jack, do, what year is it? Where you're do you remember the scene when he walks into a death metal concert yeah. and he's looking for Roger Padak? Or no, I forgot the name of the person. There's a guy headbanging. He's like, thank you. Mm-hmm. That metal scene was a band. The band that's playing is Cannibal Corpse. The yeah. song they're playing is Hammer Smashed Face. And Jim Carrey loves death metal. He told the director, by the way, director of that movie is Lebanese, just so you yeah, know. Okay. Yeah. He tells the director, we got to do this scene. This was him. He's like, I want this band. Cannibal Corpse. We'll do this. They'll be screaming. And he, he was adamant about that scene. That's one of the most hilarious scenes ever. And Cannibal Corpse, the only number one hit they ever had. That's great. Was yeah. from that. That's fantastic. I, I, I love stories like that. Yeah, like, I someone do. Someone fights for something and it works. And it works. they knew it was going to work. Yeah. And they didn't listen to all the other bullshit. Yeah. And the director's like, who's that? Shady, Dan Shadyak? Is that right? Dan Shadyak. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. How do you like that? Ace Ventura is one of my favorite <laughs> movies too, man. So his name's Dan Shadyak. Is that how you say That's it? how you right? pronounce it. Okay. Shadyak is his name. And there's fun. also the reverse. In Terminator 2, Arnold didn't want to say hasta la vista, baby. Wow. Arnold thought it was the dumbest thing he ever heard. He's like, what the fuck is this? And the director was like, just do it. Just say it as one. We'll do whatever else. I remember there was another line he wanted to say or whatever. And it turned out to be in the 90s. Yeah. If you wanted to be a cool kid, you're like, hasta la vista. Oh, yeah. I didn't <laughs> even know what it meant. Yeah. I just said it. That was, that was shit. Yeah. So on the playground, you were trying to front up on people with Terminator right. 2 lines. Yeah, yeah. By the way, Terminator 2, Judgment Day on Blu-ray, if you watch it now, looks like it was filmed now. Really? It, it, the, the cinematography I, and I the director of photography, like the, 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 the standard on the lighting and in the scenes is just... That's cool. Usually when you watch old movies... Uh, I watched it like terrified. Now when it ended, I was like, God damn, like it's so uh-huh. crystal clear. The really? colors, everything is fantastic. That that's pretty cool. Yeah. I was watching Escape from out. Los Angeles the other day. Oh, that's that's 96. And I was like... Because they those... use green screen. <laughs> yeah. That's the yeah, problem. When so you bad. use green... The surf, is that the one with the surfing <laughs> Peter scene? Fonda and they like surf oh, out. Oh my <laughs> God. Oh, yeah. that's so bad. But that's what you usually see. Have you seen the surfing scene Pierce Brosnan? I think it was Tomorrow Never Die. One of the Bond movies. There's a scene I've where he surfs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just watch it now. The cringe is unbelievable. It's really? so bad. I remember they had like a big fight scene on a submarine or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Oh, horrible, the horrible. Yeah. Golden Eye was awesome. Yeah. This has turned into the weirdest podcast it's, ever. It's, it's but I mean, How about the 90s? Huh? <laughs> 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 I'm 34. Okay, I'm 36. So I was born in 83. 82. 82. That's cool. I'll and you're 30, 84. Yeah, at the end of this year, I'll be 34 years old. Well, yeah, there, so congratulations so, to so, all of us. So that's why we're in sync. Exactly. We survived it. Yeah, that's why we're <laughs> a bunch of old timers. Remember the day when <laughs> now, the now, old yeah. times. Speaking of age, how old were you when you started Come? 17. 17. Yeah. Because the, there's the big difference. I didn't start this until 32. Oh. It took, took me a long time. However, can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. You probably didn't start getting onto a stage until you were 32. But I tell people this. I tell people I started doing stand-up when I was about four. Because I used to talk like I do on stage okay. all my life. So for me, it was like a very natural transition. Did you feel like leading up to, thir- to, to getting into it at 32 that you were starting to gyrate in terms of the way you express yourself, the way you express yourself on stage, or not at all? Um... Yes and no. I mean, I, I was there was a little bit of stage for me when I was younger because I, I sang. Oh, like I wanted to be a country singer. I, I did chorus. I did musical theater. I did stuff like that. So I was on. Oh, stage so you have you have like hat. actual talent as opposed to us. <laughs> yeah, you should us, see him at karaoke. Us hacks. Man, I'm doing this. And, that, and the, well, I think that's and what you said earlier with music and comedy were so similar to me because it's all about 
yeah, all about timing. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you find that in music. And I found that a little easier when I maybe when I was writing, I could write to my voice a little easier at okay. 32. Yeah, I mean, Jack goes on stage with a metronome, in fact. Yeah, he's big on timing. Are you serious? Are you? Oh, okay, for a second, I was like, let's talk about Jack for a second. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't yeah. it Conan who said that every failed musician is a comic? Every comic is a failed musician? I mean, it's usually how it is. Comics I play guitar like crazy and stuff. Same thing. Yeah, I was in a band for a little bit. I mean, that's, that, 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 that's how it goes. I mean, I, I, if I could definitely sing the way I want to sing, I, I, I would have gave it a little better go. Do you use your uh, singing in your act? I started to recently, yeah. You should. It's my opening joke. I sing Sherry by... Oh, yeah, that's right. By, yeah, yeah. Uh, by uh, Frankie Valley. Because <laughs> I, was, I was a tenor. But you changed the lyrics, so I, I imagine, right? I mean, it's or just jo- singing it's, it's, it. It's a joke about me being not manly and... Oh. Because and, uh, you know, I'm a big guy like you. I'm yeah. 6'4". In high yeah. school, I, I didn't play football. I didn't do any of that stuff. So I, and I'm just not a manly guy. So I, I go up there and I sing that. <laughs> I'm just not a manly guy. I've seen him I'm just full bratwurst. So I mean, that's pretty manly. That's so impressive. Men do that. No, I had a steak for dinner the other night. <laughs> you had a steak. Yeah. <laughs> Be just, proud of your achievements. Yeah, he got it rare. I was like, old move. What a oh, manly sure. way to get, not a steak. get a rare steak. <laughs> I, would that. I would eat a steak the way you're not supposed to eat a steak, unfortunately. I'm really not manly. Well done and covered it's, in ketchup, right? Right. Exactly. So Ew. Ew. Oh my God! Okay. Well done, well, Kevin. Well, well, when I was, when I was a kid, did that. when I was a kid, I did catch up for sure on my stuff. Oh, okay, you were a kid until yeah. my mom. She took us to Ruth Chris okay. because my mom, when she was younger, lived in New Orleans and she knew Ruth Chris and would eat with Ruth Chris at the oh. original Chris, Chris or Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Uh-huh. So she goes, "We're going to a steakhouse." She goes, "You cannot go in there, and, he, and if you ask for ketchup for your steak." I'm gonna make you leave. Yeah, my mom was like etiquette on steak at a respect before they do it. Respect, respect to your mom, man. He goes, you can't get any any different than medium. Mm -hmm. Can't be any higher. Can't be no, no, no. Just medium. Now I do medium rare, but. We yeah. just happen. My to girl does medium rare too. I'm very proud of her. That's a good, good way to go. Yeah, you know? it's, it's better that way. Yeah, but I'm sitting there and I just, I literally just. Well, got, it's better that way if you wanted like an Applebee's or something, like with a place where the steak is 100. So you don't end up with salmonella. Going, but yes, please proceed. Just a, a disclaimer for everybody here: who's <laughs> yeah, like yeah. McDonald's. I'll have my burger medium rare. Yeah. Applebee's one of those places where like normal ways you would get things like don't apply. Like, no, you no. want spicy yeah, yeah. food? Like insult the oh, chef yeah. at Applebee's. Kill the disease. They're reluctant. Steak place. Kill the disease. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for interrupting. Please, <laughs> no, no, please proceed. But I, did, I literally just got reamed by my mom at 10 years old about not having ketchup with my steak. They put us next to three tables of gypsies, mm. which and the only reason I'm going to say that's weird is because the lady came up to us and took our, our waitress, and she was waiting on those tables too, and she said something weird at the end, like, anything else? And we're like, no, why? And she goes... Well, the gypsies come in here, and when they come in here, they ask, they get steaks, and with ketchup. They, when they and they use tons of ketchup, and it just makes everyone really mad. So I literally sat next to three <laughs> tables of people, dunking their steak in the ketchup, and I was not allowed, and yeah. I was so pissed off. Yeah, yeah. So and that was the day you found out you left your gypsy ancestry behind. And yeah. well, I just thought, I was like, I think I'm gonna go home with them. Thank yeah, you there's much. a better way of life I've seen. Yeah, I think uh, ketchup with steak, and then ketchup with eggs. Disgusts me. I do ketchup with eggs. That's too. disgusting. That's I've done that before. I don't really like eggs. Dude, grilled though. cheese with ketchup? Oh, yeah. And mac and cheese with ketchup when I was younger. I'll do that on like Kraft mac and cheese. 
like low quality mac and cheese. I'll yeah, do ketchup. Only the, the yeah. craft. You are literally like reciting the stereotype for white people right now. Mac and cheese with ketchup. Oh yeah, you, like, you wouldn't believe the stuff my dad from put ketchup Ohio. on. <laughs> from, from Ohio. I got it all from him. Both from, from Ohio. Ohio. Both so. from Ohio. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. the stereotypes are true. Okay. <laughs> when I grew up and figured out like mustard's more of a gentleman's condiment, you know. Oh like, yeah. Leave the ketchup. <laughs> Dijon. Yeah, yeah. Do you no, remember no the mustard. commercial for? Since we keep going back in time for. Uh, Grey Poupon? Yeah, yeah. You're going to pardon me. Pardon do you me. have any oh, Grey oh, Poupon? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. This bug guy in a bit time. I don't do mustard, though. Yeah. I'm the guy that would live in... It has zero calories. That's a good condiment to get used to, by the I way. I know, I know. It's also that delicious. Is, Pickle relish, zero calories as well, just so you know. How's that possible? I was a very picky Isn't that crazy? Because pickles don't have calories. Yeah? Pickles are pickled cucumbers. They're cucumbers. Yeah. Just fermented. Fermented. Yeah. Well, I knew that. I guess I always assumed if I'm eating it, there should be calories in it. I was shocked. I remember one of the dishes when I was trying to lose weight and it succeeded, thankfully. I used to be a lot, lot larger. Uh-huh. One of the things, I had to eat tuna a lot, right? I wanted something with the tuna. I used to put lemon and mustard with tuna works really well. Mustard's a zero-calorie thing. Yeah. And then one day, I, I ran out of mustard. I had pickle relish in the fridge. I was like, ugh. So I looked at it. I'm like, zero calories. I yeah. remember like out of desperation. Yeah. Then I just squeezed it on top of the tuna. It became one of my favorite things. Really? You know, mayonnaise or Miracle Whip, if you grew up where I grew up. <laughs> May- mayonnaise or, or Miracle Whip. Really, honestly, I didn't even know that oh mayonnaise was different than Miracle Whip. I would, until I was like embarrassingly old, like in college. And, and I was like, that Hellman's mayonnaise just tastes so weird. And then I realized like it's because it's mayonnaise. And I spent a lifetime eating Miracle Whip on like grilled cheese sandwiches. Disgusting. I didn't eat mayonnaise. Oh my God. I didn't eat mayonnaise until I was in my 20s. I was really, but it's really good. I, I, I don't like mayonnaise. Like I actually yeah. don't like I, mayonnaise. I still don't ask for it. It's basically it. fat. It's liquid fat. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's and yeah, I don't and need I a ton a of it. I, I prefer Miracle Whip, if you can believe that. <laughs> I, I, I cannot. But see, I have a. I just recently lost about fifty pounds. Oh, congratulations! So, yeah, man. well yeah, done. Yeah. So I've been. How did you do that? I sold his weight bench. I cut gluten out, man. Okay. Hundred percent cut gluten out. I cut soda out. I cut. Um, I went sugar and dairy light. Not really mm-hmm. cut it because I just can't cut all that stuff. Uh, I really would like to say I've been working out more, but I haven't really been working out more. It's literally been just the diet. And have I, you been a bit more active, maybe as well? Or no, not really. Just I'm, diet. Diet's it's, enough. It's just diet, man. And it's, take, it's taken a while. I, I went on a juice fast for like four days uh, in the beginning. That must have been to, horrible. Just to kind of, it, it was the last year I was bad. I stopped because I was almost about to pass out. I, I, don't, think I, I don't think I was doing it right or drinking enough. We'd come here to do a podcast. Yeah, that's a good I indicator. Like, I was like, Jack, I, was like, I think you're about to pass man, out. I, it was you like might have to do this right. Like, I might not be able to do this podcast. But it was a good Kickstarter for my system. It flushed me out. Man. Mm-hmm. It just gave me kind of cleanse. It gave me a lot. Once I ate. Once I, once I got past the passing out part, I had a bunch of energy. Felt really good. Mm-hmm. I've kind of stayed on track since then. Weight's always been a problem. Well done. I've always man. been a big dude, so I'm still. When we're tall, it, for me too, the taller you are, the easier it is to gain weight because you don't see it. Mm-hmm. You keep packing it, and then one day it's just like it yeah, like turns, like, and then suddenly it's all there, and, it's and, all, and yeah. it takes so long. It's all over. <laughs> it's, but for me, it's all upper body though. It's yeah, me too. And that, and that's, Skinny legs. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah so. I got muscly legs, but the fat goes straight to the stomach. And all around, and it just, it's circular increases. Like you get the love handles start to expand. Yeah. Fat on the lower back. It's just like, you it's horrid. notches on your belt. It's horrid. <laughs> so I got that Native American blood in me too. So I just gain weight right here. Right chest area, chest, chest area for everybody. I did not know that. Native, <laughs> I did not know that Native Americans gain fat in their chest. That that's the thing. Uh, yeah. Live out here for a while. You'll, you'll see it. So what, how, where does the Native American come? In your family, like, is your grandparents? My, my, my great-grandmother was a full Blackfoot Indian. That's dope. From That's up, badass. Up north, like Wisconsin, actually. 
Um, and then Irish. <laughs> it's a good mel- melting pot. <laughs> Tragic. Yeah. <laughs> the Galvanzoli Irish part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, good. I mean, I really appreciate you being here and doing this. Oh, thank this you. Really great this was a fun podcast. You guys have something really great going on here. I mean, we're trying, man. We're, we're, it's nice we're, to talk about the industry and the intricacies and the methods and all that. You know, if we have an extra couple minutes, yeah. I would be really interested to hear you starting the stand-up scene in, in the Middle East. You want me to talk? What about? is what is that process like? Well, when I when I started, yeah. um, so when I well, there were no comedy clubs. Right, right. There, luckily, there was a, a thriving and still is nightlife scene. So you had a lot of clubs, bars, clubs, that kind of thing. And when I first started, I used to beg people, like, to give me... I couldn't get a break from anyone. I just wanted a room. Yeah. Um, And by the way, there were no comics that could join me. It wasn't like a, I do five, you do five, you do... Or ten, or... It it was like, I want the room, and I'm going to have to do... And were you already good enough? Like, I can do 30 minutes and carry this? I started out in university. So I used to go to the American University of Beirut. Okay. And I remember I started out... This is in 1999. I get to university, and they have a concert called The Outdoors. It's a three-day concert. And um, thousands of people come. And I figured if I could host, I'll do jokes in between, you know, two minutes here, four minutes okay, there. Okay, yeah. That's yeah. a good way yeah, to start. Yeah. And I remember I, I asked the committee, and they're like, hey, we don't have a host. Sure. You know, and they knew what stand-up was. They're just like, go. and I was a really funny guy. Like, everybody knew, like, Nimmer, if you're feeling stressed out, if you just hang out with Nimmer. That's how you were growing up. That was how Family, I was growing friends, up. Everything. Everything. I'd be in recess. It would always be me talking in a crowd of people around me. It was always the case. It was like stand-up. Like, it was always... So Had the, you been performing stand-up before? No, no, no. So it was just is, like on the playground in, the, in yeah. the central area at the university. Like it would just naturally, I'd start talking, then there'd be 40 people standing around me just That's looking amazing. at me, cracking up. So it was always like that kind of thing. So we get to do the AB Outdoors. I go to host, and uh, they say, you know, it's just three minutes. That's all the time you get in between acts. Uh, open up the show, welcome everybody, and do three minutes, and then bring them up. And I said, three minutes, great. And I, I worked on this bit. And um, it had to do with The Matrix and stuff like that. I think, I can't remember what it was. The movie The Matrix? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're right there, Nimmer. Like you and I. <laughs> back, in the day, back in the day. What was oh, popular? The best movie ever. Yeah, I, it was, I fucking love that movie. Yeah, me too. So I worked on this funny bit about The Matrix being Lebanese. So, something, I can't remember what it was, electricity cutting out. And, uh, and I had, like, I thought, a very solid three minutes. We get to the concert day. There's the first time I've ever been on stage. Um, there's hundreds of people in the crowd. I get up. Welcome, everybody. And I remember my first joke, actually. Now I remember exactly what it was. I get up there. I do my first joke. And it brings the house down in a, in a totalitarian manner. Like, it was unbelievable. Because my first joke was the best thing you could do in front of that crowd. It was college audience. I went to the American University of Beirut, AUB. There's a rival university, Lebanese American University, the LAU. I get up on stage. First thing I say, do we have any AUB student? Crowds go wild. Do we have any LAU students? Quite a few people there right? The AUB students start booing them. And I go, no, no, don't boo them. That's not right. And I go, you know, welcome to the show, LAU. We're happy to have you here. Then I go, anyways, don't you guys know, like, do you know what AUB and LAU students have in common? Both of them applied to AUB. So that was my first joke, yeah. right? Brought the house down. Because oh, it was sure. true at the time. Everybody's first choice was AUB. And if they couldn't get to it, yeah. they'd go to LAU. So that was the first, and just like oh, people I'm went sure. crazy. Then I did my Matrix joke, crushed it. I did this joke, crushed it. My three minutes were up, and people were losing their minds. And I was like, man, I am shit. That's cool, man. I turn around, and I see the organizers saying, stay on stage. What happened is there was a problem with the mixer. Something went wrong. I ended up staying on stage for the first time ever for 45 minutes. Oh, wow. Holy cow. And to say I crushed it is an understatement. Wow. Like, I had people going crazy. It, It was so good. 
And then I kept coming up afterwards and improvising bits, and I've always been good at improv and, yeah. and, and doing these comedy bits and that people during bands playing were chanting my name. Like, it was that amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I left that day, the first day of the outdoors, like a god amongst men, ego inflated beyond recognition. Like, oh, this is my destiny. I'm the greatest that ever lived. I mean... <laughs> yeah. First time on stage, I'm the greatest. I'm finally home. Oh my yeah. goodness! I come back the next day. The first day, I'm there like two hours early. I'm getting ready. I come back the second day for yeah. the second day of the concert. Five minutes before the concert begins, I'm walking in. How's it going? Hey, what's, I'm here. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we got this. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Sure. I get up on stage, and we only have three minutes. And I do the same material, and I bomb so horridly bad. Like I couldn't even. It was. It was. It was fierce. It was so painful. Oh. Nothing, nothing. It was just like the biggest descent back to earth. And then I had to get back up and up. Uh -huh. and, and I slowly throughout the show had to win the crowd over towards the end where I got, I wouldn't even call it enthusiasm that I was there. I got acceptance. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Biggest humble pie I ever ate. And just understood at that moment the, 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 the power of ego and how it can change your delivery. And, and that's where I started, right? And then I do shows at the outdoors. There'd be a concert or a gig or somebody doing something. I'd latch myself on, do five minutes there. That's what I was doing the whole time. Mm -hmm. Then I graduated, started to work as an insurance broker, family business that I'd already started for years. It was just a passion stand-up, right? Yeah. And uh, I wanted to do it so bad, though, because I wanted the country to change. I wanted to bring people together. So I finally found my, my best friend's uncle owned a hotel. And I convinced him to let me use their cafe. It's called Café Rue 75, right? Um, Café Rue 75 is what it was called. It was a French place, right next to the French embassy. And the first show I ever did, I figured, what, 30 people will show up. Yeah. I was really good at marketing, and 130 showed up. And the biggest radio station in the Middle East, the owners showed up. Uh, some of the biggest comics at the time, theatrical comics, showed up. Like, it created this huge buzz. Yeah. Because I did have somewhat of a following from my outdoor days, mainly. Because yeah. the last outdoor concert I did, there was like 8,000 people. So a big crowd. People know you. They, they of know of you. And yeah. they're like, oh, let's go check him out. This guy's been really funny. And I was helping put chairs. Like, the demand was more than we expected. So I was actually, before the show, in front of the people, like, picking up chairs, putting them here, trying to get people seated. Like, you know, like any startup would. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was no light. There was no stage. There was an elevator that dropped in the middle of the room. I came in through the elevator. We kept the elevator open, and the light of the elevator behind me was the only light in the room. We brought down the lights everywhere. That's and I had 20 minutes of material. Yeah. And, um, and I figured I would improvise another 20 on top, and there's only going to be like 30 people. When I saw everybody that was there, it was fucking terrifying. Oh, sure. I did the 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. It was terrifying because I knew that if I flopped there, it would be over. Stand-up as a concept in the Middle East would never happen. And I did the 20 minutes. They were amazing. And then I blanked out for a good five minutes. And then I just, I just like, I felt the pressure of, you ha it's now or never. If you really want to do that. And I just reached deep and basically improvised another hour and 20 minutes. Like, I was there for an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes. And did really, really great. <laughs> the amount like, of time. Crushed it. <laughs> like, I did, I, I did so yeah. well that the owner of the radio station said, we want you on our radio station. They gave me a thing called the phone taps where I did phone pranks. Pranks, yeah. Uh -huh. And the first phone prank I ever did blew up beyond blowing up and made me famous across the Middle East. Like, it was crazy. And it was all on that show. I remember driving home and just screaming because I knew that there's a chance now. Uh, yeah. But then every show I ever did after that was the same thing. It you was harrowing. It had to be an excellent show 
It had to be a brand new hour every single show. I did a residency for six months at a club called Snatch every Wednesday. And I, by the end of it, I almost lost my mind. I wouldn't sleep. I wouldn't eat. I was waking up at two in the morning, writing things down. Cause you had people who'd reserve tables for the f- next four months. They loved the comedy so much, but you had to. So I was doing an hour and a half every week and I was doing a brand new hour at least every week. Wow. So, and I had to, that's unbelievable. So it was yeah. like boot camp. Like you had to, you had to. And the thing is I didn't have a choice. I couldn't explain to the crowd that wasn't familiar with stand-up that what I'm doing is near impossible. Yeah. I couldn't explain to the crowd that wasn't familiar with stand-up that I should only be doing five minutes and you should be grateful that I'm even coming up. You, I, they were paying good money. The radio, biggest radio station in the Middle East was backing me. If I screw that up, where do I go after that? Yeah. Where what does the scene go after that? And for yeah. me, I'm losing friends to war, right? People are dying because of circumstances that can be avoided. Conversations are leading to people getting killed. So if I can change the narrative, if I can change how people converse... I could save lives. That's how I felt. Like, I would feel every death was my responsibility. That's what I would live with. That's how I acted about it. So I had to reach deep. I went, I burned myself out. I, I fucked myself over so many times. But, I, but the one thing that I took solace in was I have something that we're creating that could change everything. So every show we did, whether we were doing them underground because it was in a period of sustained bombing on the country, whether we were doing it in the mountains because they were, there was a war starting out down on the coastline, whatever we were doing, it was always like, you got to be better. Whether we were doing shows in Saudi Arabia illegally or we were doing shows in the Sultanate of Oman legally, but they wanted to do an intermission in the middle so people could go get drinks. And whether, whatever challenges were posed to us, you just took them. Whatever, when comedy started to, for lack of a better term, blow up across the Middle East and people started to see it and then they're like, wait a sec, this is an amazing moneymaker. It's just one person. Mm-hmm. and a light yeah it's no overhead it's really fantastic yeah. <laughs> fuck the band right, right, let's bring right. this shit in when that started to happen then you started to get the bogus promoters and then the money laundering yeah. right and we okay. started competing with events where they come in we're bringing eric griffin eddie griffin eddie, sorry eddie griffin yeah. uh-huh. but then they bring eric griffin right and eric's a great comic oh, but sure. i mean people yeah. are paying to see eddie right Tiny. or we're gonna sorry, bring yeah. this person this person and this person and then last second oh they canceled so we got this person and said some nobody yeah. right or they do an event, 5,000 people, and they're laundering money. So what they would end up doing is just giving out all the tickets for free. And then the government comes in and says, yeah, everybody paid cash. That's how they do here because credit isn't really used in the Middle East. So we sold 5,000 tickets at $500 a pop. They can say whatever they want, yeah. right? So it became money. So I'm not just competing. I was never competing against other comics. I was always competing against warlords, criminals, circumstances, terrorism, extremism. That was the furnace that gave birth to a stand-up comedy industry that today is unparalleled worldwide. Like, it's crazy in terms of its buildup and character, right? So those were the challenges that I had to deal with. With Those were the... I never... So when I came back in 2009, I came for a month here, I went to, like, comedy clubs. Like, and I I went from doing shows for thousands of people to being, like, finally a comedy club. And sitting in and just... And then I came back in 2014... And people were like, we'll give you five minutes on a Tuesday. I had just done a show for 5,000 people, right? And they go, five minutes on a Tuesday. And I was like, thank you. And I go, yeah. and I sit there, and I do my five minutes. And, the, and I would say, hey, I'm at the Laugh Factory on, on Tuesday. And we'd pack out the place. I'd go do my five minutes. Crowd goes ballistic. I get off stage, and, you know, Jamie Masato would be there. And he's like, who the fuck are you? Like, what are all these people yeah. here? And you're actually really good. And I'm like, well, I didn't want to, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to build myself back up once again. To get to be a better comic. That's why I came here. And it was so much fun for me to be able to sit with another comic and just see them perform, have them take minutes away where I could just focus on a bit 
That's why this show, Love Isn't the Answer, is my best show ever. I never had that. That's why it's an hour and 40 minutes solid. Because I always used to do an hour and a half without being able to work out the material properly. Now I've been for, I've done like, what, 200, 300 of this show. Yeah. I still have another 58 shows that I'm going to be doing. And then you, of Love Isn't the Answer. And I was able to work at the Laugh Factory in, in Los Angeles in the improv in the comedy store on the same 15 minutes for like three months. And then do another 15 minutes for like three months. Like I perfected them. It was, this was, to me, this was the most amazing thing ever. So yeah. that's why I'm so proud of this show. That's um, cool. So that's it's like eliminated a lot of the distractions. And like, yeah, because you really... you're able to, I was like, wow, you can work on this. And it's a new crowd every day, right? Uh -huh. So you can, they're not there to see me. Yeah. They're just there. Yeah. So you, you can try it this way and then try it that way and try. But I never was, I was never comfortable doing a bit. And if it wasn't working a quarter of the way through, moving forward with it. I still yeah. can't do that. If I'm starting a bit and it's not working, I immediately throw it away and then Don't bring in else. my gold material. Mm -hmm. Then I'll go back up with that same bit, but it has to start correctly or else I'm not going to go. I, I still can't disrespect the crowd, even if they don't know who I am, yeah. without giving them their money's worth. Sure. It's just built into me from the Middle East. But well, it, yeah, it sounds like response, that was just so necessary when you were starting. Yeah. And that's, you know, I fault a lot. What I love about this club, and I'm saying this for real, the comedy zone here, is the, the, the respect for the client. Right? The seats are super comfortable. The service is outstanding. And then the marketing and the branding, the video that you guys play at the beginning, one of the best clubs in America is this club. Just the, the, the digital billboards that you guys got outside, the artwork, mm -hmm. the class. This is what I love. I love, as a Lebanese person, I'm American, but when it comes mm -hmm. to producing events, I measure it by Lebanese standards because in Lebanon, when, I, when they say VIP, yeah. like they go all out. Because they respect that it's not enough just to have the artist that's great. you got to take care of the client in many ways to make them want to come back. This club does that. A lot of clubs in America don't. Yeah, it is a very comfortable place. It's like, a very comfortable yeah. place. And you're giving respect to the client. There's this weird mm. attitude where a lot of people are like, oh, the client, the customer, the, 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 mm -hmm. the comedy fan. You should just be grateful to be able to see this comic. Yeah. But we should be grateful as comics that they're here. And as club managers, we should be grateful that the comic wants to perform here and the crowd wants to see them. Yeah. So who's the main boss? The crowd. Yeah. Exactly. At the end of the day, mm -hmm. screw the green room, mm -hmm. screw the stage, screw everything. The crowd needs to be treated like kings, and then give them the best comic ever, and then watch them come back time and time again and and and, and recommend it to their friends. Yeah. That's what drew me in this place. I love I love this place. And Rick Rick's just a comic. He's the owner of this club. He's a comic, which is so a, that's it's, why it's, he's. It's, 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 a big difference. He's mm -hmm. not just a businessman. He, yeah, he's in here and he wants he wants people he to have the seminal experience. Want, you yeah. know what I mean? And that's that's I love. It. And that's the most Lebanese thing I can tell you about. If yeah. I were to, <laughs> if I were to carry anything from Lebanon, it's the fact that you um, have to take the if it works, it doesn't mean it's good enough. Yeah. If you're filling up the room, that means that it could be just because you're the best at the moment. Yeah. But if you want to be the best ever, it takes a club with the attitude that they have here. It's so refreshing to see. And just for me to be able to go do events, this is why I love clubs too, because everything's set up. Uh -huh. In the Middle East, every show I have to go and set up the, the sound and the mic and the test and the blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and yeah. And then, dude, the funny, like, I'd have, these are some of the weird things that would happen in the Middle East. We'd be doing a show and the guy running the sound would add reverb. Yeah. Because they're used to singers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And right? you tell them, yeah, or delay. Room, and I'm like, yeah. what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or sometimes you get sound people who would cut off the mic because they thought it was funny to add to the show. Like, it's so, like, the challenges and the stuff that were there were wow. bizarre, uh -huh. you know, but they would create their own circumstances yeah. or you'd get religious police in some countries who were coming in trying to stop you. Just the challenges that are there or warlords or the media trying to shut you down because you spoke against them. 
that's what we dealt with. So when I come here to America, it's so much easier because people are just like, you want to do comedy? Here you go. Here's the mic. Here's here's have a good yeah, time. Right. And here's your money. And we'll go, goodness. So much different. You probably, and that's, that's probably why you came out here and loved it. I came out here. My main reason to come out here was I was 100% guaranteed to be the funniest Arab in the world. I could tell you that without a, t- as a stand-up comic, mainly because I was the only one. So it was very easy to guarantee that, <laughs> right? And I knew that. I knew that I could make everybody in the Middle East and Europe laugh. I'd done it. I'd been all over, and I know it. I sell out everywhere, and I'm a household name. Great. But am I a funny comic, or am I a funny Arab? That's what I wanted to know. Yeah. So I said, let me come to America. Nobody knows who the hell I am. Right. If I start from the bottom, and I, I can achieve here what I've achieved there, then I can say I'm funny comic. Then I can keep working towards being the greatest of all time. Yeah, That's the yeah. ultimate goal, right? That's what we all want to be. So... Getting the Showtime special in only four years, getting that just legitimizes what I'm trying to do, but that in no way gives me the satisfaction of having done it yet. It just gives me the satisfaction of knowing I'm on the right track. We still got a long way to go, but I feel I can do here what I did in the Middle East, which is bring people together through comedy. If I can bring the Middle East and America together and Europe and everyone together, my ultimate goals are very high in the sense that my legacy will be like before Nimmer, the world was one place, but after Nimmer the world was a different place, yeah. not just comedy. Like so that's what we're going back through the levels. You're that's like, what I'm okay. trying to do. It's like a video game, man. Yeah. And you're like, I'm at the next boss right now. <laughs> I love Once you they know? start talking like me, I'm at the highest level here, but yeah. they're really more like my friends. So I have to yeah, go yeah. get strangers so to laugh So I'm going to go strangers again. to laugh again. And that was beautiful because then you're, that's how, like, think about it. If you watch all those martial arts movies from back in the day, what did they used to do? Like Miyamoto Musashi or any of these people, when they, when they would fight and defeat their opponents, they would go on a search for somebody else to fight because right. yeah. you want to keep getting better you got to sharpen your blade and as comics we're not supposed to get comfortable as oh. soon as you get comfortable yeah because over there like when you're selling out a show and whatever number of people are coming right five thousand for example right those are five thousand people who are buying tickets in advance they're hiring babysitters they're dressing up they're getting ready you got months of hype where everybody's talking about your event when you get on that stage they are psyched oh yeah they are there for you they're ready i come up i can say things at the time where I'd be like, hey, I could reference a word from a joke three shows ago, and the crowd goes ballistic. Yeah. Without noticing it, you're starting to get dull. It works on this crowd, but it doesn't mean you're at, you're at your best. Yeah. So then yeah. I came to America. I'm like, oh, I, shit, I can't use these references. I can't do this. And you suddenly you find yourself with like, it's time to focus on the material again. And I did, and I became a much better comic here because of it. Also because I'm going up against the best comics in the world. Yeah, right? yeah. It's no longer just me and myself and my imaginary opponent. And then I go back to the Middle East, and my shows are better too because of what I experienced here. And that's the value of this world. You're not supposed to have a non-immigrant, non-whatever perspective. You're supposed to have the perspective of, I want to meet as many people as I can, as mm-hmm. many challenges as I can to become the best I can ever be. Yeah, George Carlin used to always say, like, my job's really just, like, traveling around, thinking up goofy shit, and then coming in here and telling you about it. Yeah. And the further you go outside of your comfort zone, the more interesting things you'll find. And if you're successful, then the further you've gone actually then becomes your comfort zone. Right, right. If you keep expanding your comfort zone, once your comfort zone becomes the world... Mars, baby. I'm yes. saying if Elon Musk goes through <laughs> yes. with yeah. the colonization, I'm going to be headlining, headlining on Mars. That's right. I'm about to go sharpen that knife up in go Mars. Go sharpen right? that knife up in Mars. You're like, how about these mutant beings out here, huh? Yeah, get a load of these Get a load of these fellas. guys, you know? <laughs> Funny they didn't mention that before we came up here. <laughs> Such a shame about Sally, but hey. yeah. yeah. I love that. I just love that you, you you have a passion to really change and really help and, and, and change the world and, and with your comedy. When I got into comedy, I had a very tragic thing happen. I lost my, my father to suicide. And oh my goodness! I'm so sorry. Oh, that's right. That's right. And but I I I'm using this to try to help people and get that out there. I do a lot of work with. You know, and that also that, gives so much value to your father's life that 
you're able to take that experience and give it purpose. Right, and you get that, what I'm saying? And, and, yeah, and that, so it's, it's good to hear you say that too because I, I feel like there's not enough people that actually want to take comedy to change the world. They just, they just want to say what they want to say. And it's sad because the, the best way to change the world and the most effective way is either through nuclear warfare or comedy. Those are the two ways that you got it, believe it or not. A nuclear bomb will definitely shape the world in a way, Mm -hmm. but comedy will also equally shape the world in a way. Not the journey. Mm -hmm. The journey will shape your story and you as a comedian, but the destination shapes the world. If you stick on your journey, and I know a lot of people set the bar low by saying, you know, if I change one person's life, but you have the power, you have the ability to actually change the world. Yeah. But it's up to you and your journey as to whether or not you're successful. That's the beauty of stand-up. It's the mental and verbal martial art of our day. And it's the most powerful thing to take a look at. the What's the biggest problem in America right now? Narrative. We are the narrative. That's yeah. the whole point. You have the power to affect the narrative. When the day comes that you become powerful enough and listen to enough that something happens, somebody passes away and commits suicide for whatever reason, mm-hmm. they call on you to clarify you come up and you're put on a gigantic platform, a CNN, a Fox News, or whatever it is, with millions of listeners tuning in, looking for an answer. Yeah. And in that moment, you give the insight and the wisdom that only a comic has because they can look at something that everybody's experienced but point out what nobody else can. Yeah. In that moment, you shift the world because you control the narrative. That's how it yeah. works. That's how it works. Yeah. When I was in the Middle East and somebody was attacking a certain figure for whatever reason... And then I went up and I put out a video and I said one, two, three about the topic. And it changed all the course because I shifted the narrative. People are like, shit, we didn't think about it. That way. Yeah. Oh my God, the percussion, repercussions he's talking about are true. We shouldn't try to pass this law because it's actually going to do the opposite of what we're doing. The trick is the journey shapes you, but when you get there, will you be able to be the man that's necessary in that moment? Martin Luther King was able to shift the narrative with a speech. Yeah. I have a dream that one day, that was his moment, you understand? His journey made him ready for that moment. All our lives are preparing for that moment. It'll come. And that's your story. They don't make movies about people who grew up with rich parents and then, I mean, have you seen a Kardashian st- series yet or a documentary? <laughs> I, I see the commercials for it. I think no, you see the Kardashian yeah. show. <laughs> but somebody with that level of fame and business savvy, I would imagine, should have a movie or something by now. About but nobody's really interested it. in it right now. No. Maybe if they go through something, like when she got robbed in France and the way she pulled oh, out yeah, over that, that, Kim Kardashian, that's a story because yeah. there's some, an, an obstacle to overcome, right? So for us, what makes us newsworthy or makes us listenable is what we overcame. Dude, I'm sitting here talking about like, yeah, they were bombing, we were doing shows underground, whatever. That's what people want to know. How did you overcome that? Yeah, and- this whole episode, I've been like, Nimmer, you're the most interesting person I've ever spoken <laughs> it's, to. <laughs> it's all an act. It's all an act. But I mean, these are the things that it. people, why do people want to listen to these? Because what's your value if you're just entertainment your value can be so much more if you're giving people the perspective that's what a comic is we're supposed to give people a perspective because when they take that perspective what you went through with your father what i went through in the middle east what buck went through with miracle whip miracle Whip. yeah (laughs) they're gonna apply that thought logic that thought pattern to their problem Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be suicide doesn't have to be the middle east you think people find me funny because they're like one day i'll be in saudi arabia no they're gonna find it funny because when you start drawing parallels between what's going on in america and the middle east you get people to listen if i say trump hillary I'm immediately getting people divided into their trenches. If I say Lebanon, Christian, Muslim, Druze, people have no horse in any race, they listen to it, then they take the logic, what happened there, and then apply it here in America. That's our value, mm-hmm. where you take your experiences and give it the perspective. Yeah. So always love the journey, 
because that's your opportunity to get ready for the destination. The day will come when you're called upon, and it's whether or not you gave yourself the opportunity to be ready for that, yeah. and you will be if, the, if you want to be. Or you can just get drunk and do drugs like a lot of comics do, and then yeah, that's right? your legacy, and, you know, good for you. I mean, whatever makes you happy. All right. Dude, this has been, this has been fantastic. <laughs> this has been fun. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I think the highlight this of the podcast great. was Rage Against the Machine. Dude, that, I, think, I mean, down. I'm still, like, playing it in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Rage Against you, the Machine, you, you, my friend. He's very excited. We're going to take a road trip after this. I'll have I got the mixtapes ready, my friend. That's right. I got the mixtapes. Also, to everybody listening, you need to keep listening to CDs. The sound quality is much better. Don't do the MP3s or the streaming. If you're going to stream, do Tidal because they do uh, lossless streaming. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yes. that's their big thing. There that's their go. big thing. I'm not sponsored by them. That's I'm that's not sponsored by them. But, <laughs> but for Christ's sake, give music the respect it deserves. I've got, yeah, I got a CD player and a tape deck in my minivan right on the parking lot. People make fun of me for still listening to CDs. I burn yeah. CDs for the road. Yeah. Really? Yeah, in my car, I have a CD player. It's a used car. And yeah. I remember telling every, like, I was at the place. I'm like, does it have a CD? They're like, why do you keep asking about CD player? Because I'm like, I don't have a fucking MP3 or Bluetooth. I want a CD player. Yeah. yeah. Case Logic, 50 CDs in the Case Logic yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. You flip through the catalog, yeah. you put it in. It's nice. It skips. Beautiful. You get to sure. listen to a whole album. I feel like people don't listen to whole albums for it's like, and start by to the way, anymore. are albums worth listening to anymore? The whole album? Yeah, I suppose that's that. I, I haven't listened to a whole album in a while. I, I haven't listened to a whole album. <laughs> I'll tell you that Black Panther soundtrack. That was top to bottom. That was a pretty good. That one. was good. I didn't yeah. listen to that. Really, oh, yeah. it was good. Really, right. yeah. Dude, we just went on. A, we went on a trip to uh, the North Hollywood Comedy Festival. Uh huh. And my friend. Oh, the the in uh, uh, with the uh, Jack Jr. Jack yeah. Jr. is yeah. one of my best friends. The Ha Ha Comedy Club. He he he. He's uh, awesome. He, he helps us produce our uh, festival in Flagstaff. Big really? Pie, Yo, shout comedy. out to Jack Jr. Oh, I love yeah. that Jack kid, man. You know his father's Lebanese Armenian. So Jack's uh, I, actually half Lebanese. Yeah, okay. Because he nice. talks about it a little bit on stage. Yeah, as a Dorian. Jack, yeah, Jack, yeah, Jack yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is Armenian and Jack's, his dad speaks to me fluent Lebanese Arabic. Really? Like, right? Yeah, That's people, cool. Yeah. I actually met Jack Sr. before I met Jack Jr. Okay. Just doing something at the club and he was super nice. He's the nicest guy ever. I think... Uh, and that was, club is highly underrated. That is one of the oh, best comedy clubs in the cool country. comedy room, oh, man. Because the yeah. comedians yeah. go there... And they're like, oh, there's no industry here. That's what they think. So uh-huh. they just go in and really try their material. And you end up being so much funnier because yeah. you're really being yeah. yourself. Yeah, it's yeah. always a good time. Ha Ha Comedy Club, North Hollywood. If you're I, ever there, check it out. I went there Lankershire right Boulevard. Lankershire Boulevard. That's a hard-ass word to say. We went, um, when I went there the first time, it was right when they were transitioning to their new club. So yeah. they still had their old one. Yeah. And uh, Stuttering John was doing a night there. And after the show, Jack Sr. just hung out. Closed the place at like twelve. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came in. We were all wanted to hang out. Still, he went in the back, cooked us all food, brought wow. it out. I mean, wow. gave us the treatment. And that's why when I met Jack Jr. at uh, Comedy Spot, I was like, "Dude, I met your dad once. He's a great guy." He goes, "Well, you're the first guy to say that." Yes. <laughs> 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 and I told the story, but now, yeah, we help him. We help him run that festival. We 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 brought our whole production staff out. I wanted there. to be there. I was out of this. Oh, I was good. out of town. It was. It was. It was, was really, it good? It was really I heard great. it was great. It was really it's great. fun, man. And then he yeah. comes up and he comes up and helps us with our festival and flag staff. In awesome, man. So that's. Uh, I love yeah. Jack. We work together in San Diego. We've done many shows together. He's Dude, really he took great. us out. Took us to see Deadpool too at the uh, at the Chinese the, theater. Uh, yeah. How was that? Dude, I've never been in a theater like that before. Isn't it crazy? Yeah, I was like, how is it so big? You can park a ship in here. Yeah, no, it was great. Good on you, Jack. Jack. Good on you, man. What was the story going on? Oh, we took the Lexus. Different trip. We took a Lexus that was my friend's in uh, 2002, 2001 that she had that her dad was using. We haven't driven it forever. So we get in the car, and we start driving, and I get out my aux cord, and I'm like... There's no auxiliary. 
I'm like, oh crap. We don't have, I mean, yeah. I love CDs, but I don't have many yeah, yeah. more. You know what I mean? I just don't. And yeah. we listen to. You're a horrible human being. Oh, yeah. Fine. I got we four in my car right now. <laughs> we listen to, <laughs> we listen to <laughs> nothing. Yeah. It's just like we listen to the radio until it went out. So, all right. I know we got to wrap this up. How long is it? Hour 20? Oh, seven, seven, eight hours. I don't know. Like, seven, eight hours. Nimmer goes forever, you know? Oh, 45 this minutes is first time out. Yeah. Fantastic. This has been, this has been really a great podcast. I really appreciate you coming. No, I appreciate you guys. No, one hands down, 100%. I don't know how long we've been on, but it's been fun. I hope everybody listening is having a good time. Well, I, I, I want to tell everyone. I hope they burn it to a CD so they really get the quality. Burn it to CD. Make sure that you don't like download it as an MP3 and then convert it to waves. You're not doing anything. You're not doing a thing. It's not, it's, it's original source. You got to download it as it is. Do you have anything you want to plug on here or anything? That, my Showtime this, special. This will be out in a couple. Weeks. I just, you know, if you're, if you're, go to my website, nimmercomedy.com. The oh, website, by the way, is fantastic. Yeah. Come Nimmer, down to every show. All my tickets are there. All my shows are there. I'm touring across the A lot the of shows. A lot of shows. I'm touring all over the country. My new show is called Love Isn't the Answer. I'd love you guys to see it. I think it's wonderful. And um, if you uh, are not in a city where I'm going, please, and if you are even, just turn on your TVs, search for Nimmer, and it's spelled N E M R. And check out my Showtime special, No Bombing in Beirut. And I would love you very much if you did. And I hope to see you at a show one day and hear you laughing. Fuck, you got anything? You want to say? You me? No, I'm just, thanks for letting me talk this time. You know, no, it's you nice. Do, you just record stuff. Yeah. So Matt's not here. He gets the host. And I think he does, he does a fantastic job. I, yeah. I certainly have fun doing it. You know? Yeah, no. He like listens it? to Rage Against the Machine, so I'm biased. That helped us. Yeah. That helped us today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hands down. Hands All right. down. Well, you guys have a good day. And thanks for listening. Silverstein Videography and Photography, and you better believe he's drone certified. Email him at markallensilverstein at gmail.com. That's Mark with a C, Allen, A-L-A-N, Silverstein at gmail.com, or call 847-687-5155. 847-687-5155. For Mark Silverstein Videography and Photography, once again, Drone certified. Big Big Pine Pine Comedy Comedy Festival, Festival. September September 19th to 22nd in downtown Flagstaff, Arizona. Arizona. Check Check us out online at bigpinecomedyfestival.com.